Hi there, and welcome to The Ways She Moves, a podcast focused on female-led political movements that have taken the modern world by storm. I am your host, Jada Eisenbud. On today's episode, we are covering The Squad. The Squad. The Squad? The so-called Squad. Four freshman Democratic Congresswomen. Four Democratic women of color in Congress. Four Congresswomen of color. So, who is The Squad, and how did they get here? It's the informal name for, you guessed it, those four very congresswomen elected in the 2018 midterm elections. These women have faced countless Twitter attacks from the president, and their elections helped make 2018 the winningest election for women in Congress ever. These amazing women are representatives Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, and Diana Presley of Massachusetts. I'll say this now and get it out of the way so that I don't continually brag about it for the rest of the episode, but Congresswoman Presley is my Congresswoman for the 7th District in Massachusetts. She's incredible, and I might say she's one of my role models as an aspiring politician. These women have not only made history for all being women of color elected into office, but they are also helping to push the Democratic Party further left. So not only has this angered Trump and his followers, but it has also agitated moderate Democrats in Congress as well. I'm going to give you a bit of brief background information on all four women because it's really key to understanding why their unofficial movement is so important in our current political climate. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the youngest woman ever elected to Congress. She is Bronx born and raised, and she represents New York's 14th congressional district. Prior to being elected, Cortez worked as a bartender, thus proving that anybody with a voice and a dream can go into politics if they really want it. Rashida Tlaib is the first Palestinian American woman to serve in Congress ever. She and Congresswoman Ilhan Omar are the first Muslim women to ever serve in Congress. It's amazing. Tlaib represents Michigan's 13th district. Moving to Ilhan Omar, she is the first Somali-American person in Congress. And you heard that right, the very first. She came to America as a refugee and was given American citizenship in 2000 at the age of 17. She represents Minnesota's 5th congressional district. And not to play favorites, but to wrap it up, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. She is the first black woman to represent Massachusetts in Congress. She defeated her 20-year incumbent by a long shot in the 7th Congressional District, a district that was once represented by John F. Kennedy. Presley's father was incarcerated for a portion of her childhood, and she is unapologetic about her fundamental disagreements with the U.S. prison systems, as well as the country's immigration policies under the Trump administration. All four women represent some sort of first for this country. That is not the only reason they became the faces of this unofficial movement, however. As I mentioned earlier, they are part of the younger, leftist cohort among the Democratic Party, and their work is helping to push the party further to the left. I know we are all wondering, though, where did the nickname The Squad come from? 
pretty awesome. But where did it come from? Well, Congresswoman Cortez actually coined it herself in an Instagram post from a week after the 2018 midterm election. Pretty badass, right? To give yourself your own nickname, I think it's pretty fitting for them since their MO is rule breaking and defying the status quo. A brilliant New York Times article from 2019 calls the squad the future of politics. And here is why. They are pushing the limits in all ways. They are not just faces of meaningless racial diversity being added to our Congress. Rather, they are testing the boundaries of our country's politics, making people feel uncomfortable for the best reasons. And they are questioning rules and precedents that have long been in place in our democracy. So I'm going to read a portion of this New York Times article so that you can kind of get an idea of how perfect this article really puts this whole movement and this, these four congresswomen into perspective. Some of their colleagues in Washington may have preferred that they simply come in and add color to the halls of Congress, but in every other way behave as their long-established white predecessors have. But they have a different agenda. They have a transformative notion of diversity that comes with a different set of expectations and metrics. They insist on bringing the concerns of historically marginalized communities into the rooms where decisions are made, even when that is seen as impolite or inappropriate. These four women are transforming the Democratic Party from within Congress in a way that fits the outside world. As my generation and the millennials grow and become enfranchised voters and think with a political lens, we deserve representation that fits us and who we are. And the squad is doing that important and necessary work. And quite frankly, they're just the women for the job. They have revived the Democratic Party's left flank and they have helped to reawaken the urgency for serious progressive change. A more timid approach would have been to go to Washington and to blend in. But the women's approach is to be bold and stand out, admirably and courageously, thus threatening many conservative and frankly racist colleagues that they have. In his typical mean-spirited manner, as the New York Times op-ed puts it, Trump has hurled numerous insults at them, and others have piled on too. While Trump told them all to go back to where they came from in a tweet after the election, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina displayed his discontent with the women on Fox News. He called them a bunch of communists, and he said they hate our own country. He also said they, quote, stand for all the things most Americans disagree with. Maybe to you, Senator Graham, since you so ardently propel a separatist ignorant agenda, and you enable the president's idiocy. What's funny, and highly ironic, is that Senator Graham's words are just false. A poll by The Economist and YouGov indicated in the New York Times article that each of the four women has a higher approval rating than Mr. Trump himself. What is so incredible about the squad is the fact that their sheer activism and their extremely progressive approach to politics has garnered the attention and admiration of all Gen Z Democrats. The squad, particularly Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar, are constantly trending on TikTok, and they have been able to demonstrate their fiery and fierce approach to political discourse in this country 
through their so-called clapbacks. Last week, I referenced this amazing piece written by the numerous women for the MIT Press called Hashtag Activism. And I'm once again going to reference it because their words are so relevant to this conversation. Hashtag activism really dials into the fact that social media, specifically Twitter, has become an integral part of how the world receives our daily pieces of entertainment and news. And the use of hashtags is similar to a line of global communication through which we are able to connect and create a dialogue. And this is true. Hashtag the squad has trended on Twitter numerous times and various individual tweets from either of the four members have gone wildly viral. Upon closer inspection though, I did a Google trend search and set the time frame from 2018 to 2020. Immediately, two massive spikes in search trends emerged when I put in, quote, the squad. The first one was from July 14th through 20th of 2019, when President Trump told the very members of the squad to, quote, go back to where they came from in a cowardly tweet. That spike hit 100 on the Google Trends chart measurement, which is the highest a trend can be measured using this source. The second time was August 23rd through 29th of 2020, when Trump started ramping up claims that the Democrats would steal the election during the 2020 Republican National Convention. This spike in searches was scored by Google at a 79, which is slightly lower than the first spike, but still massively above average. All of this data represents one common theme. The squad has not only forever impacted American politics, but they have also been able to impact social media in a way that captures the attention of all. I'm gonna use an example. There's an audio clip that went insanely viral on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, you name it, of Congresswoman Cortez on the House floor in July of 2020. She was responding to being verbally accosted by Republican Congressman Ted Yoho from Florida. Here is that clip of that viral audio, courtesy of NBC News. Representative Yoho put his finger in my face. He called me disgusting. He called me crazy. He called me out of my mind. Um, and he called me dangerous. And then he took a few more steps. And after I had recognized his, uh, after I had recognized his, his comments as rude, he walked away and said, I'm rude. You're calling me rude. I took a few steps ahead and I walked inside and cast my vote. Um, because my constituents send me here each and every day to fight for them. I walked back out and there were reporters in the front of the Capitol. And in front of reporters, Representative Yoho called me, and I quote, a f***ing bitch. That clip went so viral that there was even a copy made over the instrumental beat of Kendrick Lamar's hit song, Humble. I'm going to insert that TikTok audio so you guys can hear it. I found it from Now This on YouTube. Like I said, the instrumental is Kendrick Lamar, and it's AOC's voice, you know, in front of that instrumental beat. It's pretty awesome, so take a listen. Representative Yoho put his finger in my face. He called me disgusting. He called me crazy. He called me out of my mind. He called me dangerous. Representative Yoho called me, and I quote, 
AOC's infamy is particularly notable, as I mentioned. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has even been a part of a massive Netflix documentary called Knock Down the House, dedicated to tracking the congressional campaigns of various women across the country who ran against male incumbents in various states in the 2018 midterms. All of the women in that documentary were projected to lose their races, and while a few did, Cortez was among the ones that won. And I know it seems a bit ridiculous that these congressional campaigns received so much attention from the media, but when you really think about it, it makes sense. Politically, I mean. Martha Jones's book, Vanguard, that was recently released actually, captures the incredibly notable stories of black women in political activism dating all the way back to the Seneca Falls Convention in 1848. What Jones pulls from those stories is the incredible ways that women of color have been activists and change makers in this country and the unfortunate reality that we as a nation refused and continue to refuse to give them the recognition they deserved and deserve to this day. The Squad is the culmination of that very recognition. Black women from the 20th century fought incredibly hard against all these adversities and they remain the most ignored group in the country. Their needs and their rights remain ignored. To have a cohort of young women of color representing a variety of states is enormous. And I said that the squad is helping to make Congress more legitimately representative of the country and of my generation in particular. And I'll say it again, because they are doing that. And especially now that we're gonna see a black woman as vice president, now there's an opportunity to listen and to learn from women of color, and most importantly, to right the wrongs. Other books on women of color in politics, like Nora Bowman's Amplify and Mickey Kendall's Hood Feminism that we spoke of on last week's episode, also cover stories of women in politics, and not just in public office, but politics as a conversation and a growing concept in this nation. Amplify, being a graphic novel, not only describes, but paints the picture of political activism for women's rights, LGBTQ plus rights, and racial equality. For the longest time, these three movements became the forefront of social justice advocacy in this country. And there's so much overlap between them that it's just crucial that they work with each other rather than against. You know, there's a concept in feminist theory called double jeopardy, and it's based off of the concept with the same name from legal theory. It is also a key piece of feminist literature written by Frances M. Beale in 1969. Double jeopardy in the world of law is the prosecution of a person twice for the same offense. You cannot prosecute someone in the United States twice for the same crime. In fem theory, it refers to a concept that a person's identity can be compounded. A black woman experiences a whole new array of hardships because she is both a black person and a woman. Simply put, the various aspects of our identities are not separate, but they rather you know, inform and impact one another. This key concept really gets at why the squad is such a valuable part of our political sphere. They are a part of the legislative branch of our government, that dictates what the laws are, 
which means that having progressive women of color participating in this process will help not only raise awareness for issues of women of color and women rights as well. I mean, you know, they're all women, so women's rights is also pertinent to their daily work. But also, it, it helps to create laws that protect black women, protect women of color and their rights in a really fundamental way that this country has gotten wrong for many, many years. And that, you know, there's this new hope with these women in Congress that maybe now that they're there and that they represent not only their districts, but also women of color in this nation, that they can bring crucial pieces of legislative work to the table and they can bring that there and make it happen which when I'm thinking about all of the critical feminist literature that I've read particularly black feminist literature it is hard to get anything done to to reach any goals to accomplish any goals in the progression of black feminism or feminism in general when you don't have the odds of passing legislative action, of being politically engaged, not just socially and culturally, but unfortunately through the systems that already exist. Even if you want to change those very systems, you have to work with them first in order to change them. So I think that the work of the squad is, is doing that very change. It is tackling the sort of building blocks of that very change that we want to see happen that will potentially change the course of the Democratic Party, change the course of American democracy, and the fact that they have been able to use social media and media in general, to exponentially increase the odds of their message being spread and to increase the support just outside of their district even, you know. It goes beyond the boundaries within which they serve, which is incredibly special. It's important that in this podcast, I'm not just talking about politics because I want to be a politician. I'm talking about politics because politics lies at the root of many, if not all, of the cultural, societal, intersocial, and multifaceted problems and ideologies within America. You know, when you think of America and American history and American culture, a lot of it is our politics because they're so starkly different from those of other nations, you know, other leading nations across the globe. So it is imperative not only to, you know, be a politically informed American citizen and global citizen for that matter, but it's also imperative to engage with your politics because, like I said, politics is at the root of almost everything. You know, when people say, oh, I'm not a political person. Yes, you are. 
Do you drive? Do you own a car? Do you pay taxes? Yeah, politics affects you one way or another. And I know that politics aren't for everybody. They're stressful, they're chaotic, they're high strung, but that's okay. Not everybody has to be the next AOC. Everybody should at least know who the next AOC should be. They should at least know why there should be AOCs for the foreseeable future. Why there should be Ayanna Presleys for the foreseeable future of this democracy. You know, it's really interesting to me because, you know, you have the the squad, right? Like I say, they represent, you know, the young, the leftist, the increasingly diverse, the culturally and socially aware re-up of the Democratic Party. And it's so interesting because, you know, you, you contrast people like that with some of these more centrist, moderate congresswomen like Abigail Spanberger from Virginia or Debbie uh, Mercosur Powell, a Florida Democrat, or even Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. You know, you contrast some of these more centrist, moderate women with this growing, strong presence of liberal, young women in Congress. And you get a really interesting dynamic um, to be able to compare sort of the the old and the new of the Democratic Party. Um, and I think that that in itself speaks of how much change we have been able to bring into this country over the last five or so years. Now, because of the, the comparisons we're able to draw between the old and the new Democratic Party, we see how frankly white how male how traditional our our congress has been and i don't want to use the word saddening but it, but it almost is is saddening because there are plenty of developed nations who have thrived with female heads of state who have thrived with a more equally representative populace um and a more equally representative political field i guess um and you know part of that is just the the very root of our our government is based in the fact that like women were just not included in this idea in this notion of politics it was not you know made for them it was made for white men so to say oh, it's not a fundamental issue of our political system. It's just a figment of your imagination or to say that systemic racism or systemic even sexism is not real is to fundamentally ignore the centuries of history that demonstrates a clear favoritism in politics of of white men. So what the squad has done, the movement that they have cultivated is really powerful for, you know, the growing generations and people who will soon become voters themselves, um, people who have recently become voters, because, you know, now there are black girls growing up or now there are Muslim girls growing up or Asian American girls growing up who 
look at their TV screens and learn, or look at their parents' phones on the news and, and, and they say, oh, mommy, look, or daddy, look, that, that woman looks like me. And, and that's powerful. That is incredible. And, and I think that it's interesting because I feel like as the squad, you know, as the idea and the concept of the squad has grown, so has the members of the squad. There are, I feel like there are unofficial members of the squad. For example, Stacey Abrams, absolutely an unofficial member of the squad. You know, I think even though he's an old white dude, I think that, you know, the friendship and partnership between AOC and Bernie Sanders um, or even Ed Markey is phenomenal because even though those two men are old white men, they are old white men who have the right ideas, right? It counts, right? We're not faulting old white men just because they're all old white men. You know, these old there are old white men out there that have the right ideas and that want to contribute and that want to learn and help and listen. And that, that is what politics is about. It's not about separating people based on identifiers. It's all about uniting people based on what makes us different. We can unite even though we are fundamentally different. And that also connects to the, the growing nature of party politics in this country. You know, 15 years ago, Sure, Democrats and Republicans had fundamentally very different ideologies, but at the end of the day, we were able to, you know, both have a seat at the table and really work together. And now, especially with Trumpism and the sort of the effects that Trump has had on the Republican Party and the GOP, I guess, you're seeing this just massively growing divide between the two parties. And that is sort of a product of the faults of the two-party system because people who maybe don't have access to as much resources about politics or an education about politics feel forced and pressured to pick a side uh, without maybe all of the proper information or without really feeling like their choice is, is what they really want. So... I think that that's a great place to sort of wrap up this episode with the, the the fundamental thoughts that, you know, the squad is a a byproduct of recent fundamental changes that are, are happening in our democracy that we're seeing happen. But that's not an okay to go ahead and disregard the other fundamental issues. It's not a reason to slow down or to give up it's a reason to persist i leave you with that with those words and you know i really enjoyed talking about this episode if you want to read more on the squad and any of its members there will be some sources in my podcast description um, with some links and some book titles um, and author names so i am very happy that I got to speak about this. I think the squad is really a sign of the times. And I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode.